The Yankees go into a tailspin. And did Mays make a better catch than the one in the 54 series? It's episode 7 of Baseball 61. There it is. There it is. If it stays fair, there it is. Number 60. How about that? A standing ovation for Roger Maris, who got number 60. Fastball hits deep to right. It's Hello, everyone, and welcome to Baseball 61, a podcast about the historic 1961 New York Yankees and the Major League Baseball season of 1961. I'm Dan Lavallo. Friday, May 12th, this was the start of a four-game series between the first-place Tigers and the second-place Yankees, with New York two-and-a-half games out of first place at the start of play. In the news, representing President John F. Kennedy, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson was meeting with South Vietnam President Ngo Dinh Diem, promising aid to that country to, as the New York Times headline read, quote, help Vietnam to fight poverty, end quote. What would the Yankees' chances be? Mickey Mantle was sidelined with a pulled muscle, and the Yankees' nemesis Frank Larry was pitching. In front of 23,556 fans at Yankee Stadium, New York took a 3-2 lead to the top of the seventh on the strength of a two-run homer by Hector Lopez and an RBI double by Yogi Berra on his 36th birthday. But the Tigers clawed back. Larry wasn't his usual sharp self on the mound, but he opened the seventh with a double and scored the tying run on a single by Jake Wood, who had been deputized as a sheriff before the game by fans from his hometown of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Larry then escaped a bases-loaded jam on the bottom of the inning without the Yankees scoring a run. The score remained 3-3 to the top of the ninth. But before the inning started, a fight broke out in the stands involving the father of Tigers left fielder Rocky Calavito, a Bronx native. Rocky was playing left field in the game for the Tigers. The fight had been broken up, but Calavito raced into the stands to defend his dad and was ejected from the game. The fan who started the fight with Calavito was tossed from the stadium. So finally, the ninth inning began with reliever Jim Coates on the mound for the Yanks, taking over for the closer Luis Arroyo, who had entered in the sixth inning in relief of starter Art Dittmar. And this time... Frank Larry struck again. Would you believe it? And this time he did it with his bat, belting a solo home run into the left field seats to break the 3-3 tie. The Yankees' nemesis then walked Mickey Mantle, who appeared as a pinch hitter with a runner on base and retired Cleet Boyer on an infield grounder for his fifth win of the season against one defeat. Another complete game victory for Frank Larry. The Yankees lost the game 4-3 in three hours and nine minutes, dropping three-and-a-half games behind the first-place Tigers. Meanwhile, Baltimore's Jim Gentile slugged his 10th home run of the season to take sole possession of the American League's home run race, 
by one over Mantle. And Bill Mambuquet, who would someday have a brief stint with the Yankees, set a new Red Sox record by striking out 17 Washington Senators in Boston's 2-1 victory. Mambuquet broke Smokey Joe Woods' team mark of 15 strikeouts and came within one of tying the single mark of 18 shared by Bob Feller and Sandy Koufax. Saturday, May 13th. The nation mourned the death of movie star Gary Cooper, winner of two Oscars. Cooper, who portrayed Lou Gehrig in the movie Pride of the Yankees, passed away in his Los Angeles home of cancer six days after his 60th birthday. Cooper, whose closest Hollywood friend was the crooner Bing Crosby, part owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, once said he knew his limitations as an actor. I never tried Shakespeare, he said. That's because I look funny in tights. Meanwhile, in the Bronx, back in the starting lineup following his ejection before the start of the ninth inning on Friday night was Rocky Calavito, who slugged two home runs as the Tigers continued their domination of the Yankees, winning 8-3. to three. Pitcher Bob Turley and Danny McDivitt were on the receiving end of the Tigers' 12-hit assault as a crowd of 24,824, including 18,036 paid on Ladies' Day, witnessed the Yankees' defeat. For the second straight game, Detroit collected a complete game from its pitcher, this time Phil Regan turning the trick. Yes, this would be the same Phil Regan who in 2019, in his 80s, would serve as the pitching coach and a highly regarded one at that with the New York Mets. Johnny Blanchard and Yogi Berra did reach Regan for home runs, but at day's end, the Yankees were four and a half games out of first, leading the third-place Orioles by just six percentage points. Meanwhile, off the field, the Tigers were talking. Al Kaline, who was hitting 327, said manager Bob Sheffink, who would someday become general manager of the New York Mets, told him to stop trying for home runs. Let Calavito and Norm Cash hit the homers, Sheffing told him. As for Calavito, going into the stands the night before to defend his father, he told the New York Times he would do it again. In fact, here's how the Times account read, quote, Rocky heard from his family later that the trouble started with a fan described as a quote-unquote drunk. The fan began annoying the player's wife. Rocky's older brother, Don, reportedly tried to intervene, only to be held by three guys. It was then that Rocco Sr. also objected, and according to Rocco Jr., quote, this guy started to swing at my father. Calavito was hoping he would not be fined by the American League for leaving the field of play. What would you do if you saw someone belting your 60-year-old father, Calavito said. My dad is here today, and if the same thing happened again, I would act the same way. On the other end of the country, attendance for baseball games in Los Angeles was making news. The Dodgers were now sharing the market with the Angels, and their attendance at the L.A. Coliseum one year before they would move into Dodger Stadium was down 140000 to 333,504 after 15 games. The Angels just finished their first ever homestand and had drawn 135,370 for their first 13 games. But 57,388 were for three games when the Yankees were in town. 
Angels officials were now studying whether they should play the Yankees in the Coliseum when the Bombers returned in June. One thing the Angels were also doing in that market in order to drum up interest was to televise home games. In fact, that's something the Dodgers didn't do. The Angels, in their first homestand, put four home games on local television, or as many as the Dodgers had televised since moving to Los Angeles in 1958. Also, the American and National League each announced it would form a 200-home run club. Any big league player who hit 200 or more home runs would become part of a display at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Sunday, May 14th. As Vice President Johnson continued his swing through Asia visiting nationalist China and riots broke out in Birmingham, Alabama, the Yankees prepared for a doubleheader against the Tigers. It was a warm Sunday afternoon, and 40,968 decided to take in the twin bill as they got their fill of baseball. And boy, they did six hours and 42 minutes of baseball. The curtain on the second game did not fall until 8.42 that Sunday night. In the first game, Bob Serve and Moose Scarin slugged two-run homers, and with Whitey Ford on the hill, the Yankees took a 4-1 to lead into the ninth inning. Money in the bank, right? But Whitey struggled in the ninth and was relieved by Tex Clevenger, who also could not get that third out. And by the time Luis Arroyo finished the frame, the Tigers had tied the game 4-4. The inning was not without a dispute. The Yankees claiming a ball hit by pinch hitter Larry Osborne should have been ruled a ground rule double, holding the score to 4-3. But the umpires ruled the ball that hit the foul pole was in play. So the game went into the 11th, tied 4-4, with reliever Jim Coates on the mound for the Yanks. And the last of the 11th, Mickey Mantle opened the frame, sore leg and all, with his third hit. Two outs later, Roger Maris walked, Tony Kubek beat out a hit, and Yogi Berra won the game with a pinch-hit single. The Yankees had finally defeated the Tigers 5-4 to in 11 innings in a game which took 3 hours and 30 minutes to play. Ralph Terry took the mound for the Bombers in the second game against Jim Bunning, and the Yankees took the future Hall of Fame pitcher and politician to the cleaners. In the first... The first six Yankees hit singles, seven singles, and five runs later, the Yanks were up 5 nothing after one. After two innings, the Yankees held a 7-2 lead, but Terry started to struggle and was unable to retire a batter in the fifth inning when Detroit scored three. It would be up to Coates, who won the first game with a scoreless 11th inning of relief to slam the door. And boy, he did slam the door. The right-hander held the Tigers to one run over the final five innings, and the Yanks won the game 8-6 to six in two hours and 39 minutes. In the end, the Yankees had their doubleheader sweep with Jim Coates, the winning pitcher in both games. So after play on Sunday, Detroit was in first place in the American League with a 20-9 and record while the Yankees had improved to 16-10, and two and a half games back. Minnesota was four lengths behind. In the National League, San Francisco led the Dodgers by one game. Defending world champion Pittsburgh and Cincinnati were two and a half games back. Monday, May 15th. 
The Yankees had a day off, but in the news, President Kennedy was expressing dismay that his call for national sacrifice was going unheeded by some people. And in South Korea, there was disarray as the military had launched a coup. Now, the Yankees may have been enjoying their day of rest following the Sunday doubleheader sweep, but the Tigers were not dismayed. They pounded out 15 hits in a 10-5 victory over the Orioles, increasing their first-place lead over the Yanks to three games. For the Orioles, an outfielder who would someday gain fame as a manager that would earn him entry into the Hall of Fame hit a home run. His name? Whitey Herzog. Herzog had also become close friends with Roger Maris when the two were teammates on the Kansas City Athletics. Meanwhile, in the American League home run race, the Orioles' Jim Gentile led the way with 11 homers. Mickey Mantle was second with nine. Tuesday, May 16th, President Kennedy was in Canada, and the U.S. refused to intervene in the South Korea coup. And speaking of Washington, the Senators were in town for a two-game series against New York. The expansion Washington Senators came to town, and that should be money in the bank with the Yankees playing the Senators, right? Well, Mickey Mantle ended his home run drought by slugging his 10th homer of the season. Bill Scourin added a single over second base. Those would be the only two hits the Yankees would get. In a two-hour and 26-minute game in front of 10,050, the Senators made it four straight wins with a 3-2 victory in the process making a winner of pitcher Hal Woodishick and a loser of Yankee starter Bill Stafford, who lasted only three innings and was lifted after giving up three runs in the third. By the way, Dick Sisler tossed two into third innings of one-hit scoreless baseball to finish the job for the Nats. With the loss, the Yankees dropped to 16-11, four games behind the Tigers, who beat the Orioles again 10-4. The winning pitcher for Detroit? <laughs> you guessed it. Frank Larry. It was his 100th career win. And about that uh, new club, Washington, the Senators under manager Mickey Vernon improved to 14-17, and 17, eight games out, and were ahead of the White Sox, Red Sox, and Angels in the 10-team American League, just a game and a half out of the first division. Wednesday, May 17th. The Yankees were hosting the Senators in a day game to be televised on WPIX Channel 11, in addition to being broadcast on WCBS 880, with Mel Allen, Phil Rizzuto, and Red Barber at the mic. It's a good thing the game was in the day because a big crowd was expected across the street that night for a soccer doubleheader at the Polo Grounds, the former home of the New York Giants. The Yankees employed 18 players in this game, including four pitchers, but fell behind, trailing Washington 8-1, going to the bottom of the eighth inning. New York, out-hitting the Senators 14-10 in the game, rallied for five runs in the eighth, helped by a Roger Maris home run, his fourth of the season. But when the dust had cleared, the Yankees lost 8-7 before 6,197 in a two-hour and 59-minute game. The surging Senators had won five straight, while the second-place Yankees were now 16-12 as the Tigers won again over the Orioles, dropping the Yankees five games behind first-place Detroit. Now, can you imagine... If they had Sports Talk Radio in 1961 the way we have it in 2021, the outcry? Wait a minute. Maybe they did have some fashion of Sports Talk Radio. On a Pittsburgh radio station, Monday night, May 15th, 
National League umpire Frank Dascoli and St. Louis Cardinals manager Sally Hemus appeared as guests. Hemus called umpire Frank Sicori and Dascoli, quote, arrogant men. This is during the interview. Dascoli countered that Hemus was a, quote, busher as a player and a busher as a manager. That exchange prompted an edict from National League President Warren C. Giles, who stated, quote, I have heard a tape recording of the so-called debate and am convinced both parties used bad judgment in agreeing to participate in this type of program. I am directing all our umpires that they are not to participate in programs of this type in the future. By the way, the program had been held after Hemus had been ejected from a game. Timing is everything, I guess. As for those soccer matches at the Polo Grounds, it was the launching of the second season of the International Soccer League, and 9,538 fans turned out to watch these matches on the same field where Willie Mays, Melot, Carl Hubble, and John McGraw once roamed. Besiktas of Turkey beat Carl's rule of West Germany 3-1, while third Lanark of Scotland topped Birmingham City of England in the second match, 4-1. Thursday, May 18th, while the U.S. government was announcing that Radio Corporation of America would build the first satellite to be launched to relay television, telegraph, and telephone signals across the Atlantic Ocean, the Yankees were off. They were heading by train to Cleveland for a weekend series against the Indians. But... During this off day, the Yankees were making news. Lack of key hits were being blamed for the club's struggles. Leading first-year manager Ralph Houck to comment, quote, All we need is for two or three of our big men to get hot at the same time. Of course, Mickey Mantle has been hitting well all year, but we need a couple of more fellows to get hot with men on base and drive in the big runs for us. I can't help but think it's bound to happen, and I've got a feeling it's going to happen soon. End quote. In the two-game series against Washington, the Yankees left 26 men on base. But there was baseball played on this date, with Willie Mays making a sensational catch, robbing an extra base hit from Dick Bertel of the Chicago Cubs. Mays ran far to make an over-the-shoulder catch by the 410-foot sign at Candlestick Park, leading his manager Alvin Dark to remark it was a more difficult catch than the famous catch Mays made off of Vic Wirtz of the Indians at the Polo Grounds in Game 1 of the 1954 World Series. Dark was the shortstop on the Giants club that day, so he had a great view of the catch by Mays. Mays made a back-to-the-plate grab in center of a drive. Wirtz hit nearly 440 feet. Said Dark, quote, The circumstances were different. But I think Willie's catch here was more difficult than the one-off Wirtz. Against Wirtz, he had a look over his shoulder before he caught the ball with one hand. Here, it came over his head from behind him. End quote. Added Mays, I don't know. I just try to get that ball and throw it back to the infield. The wind made a difference. If it was blowing the other way, the ball is out of here. That wind changes all the time, makes it tough. Also making news on this date, former Brooklyn Dodger Ralph Branca. He said he had been approached to become the next baseball coach at New York University. Branca said he was mulling the offer over. Branca, who pitched for NYU in 1944, was an insurance agent in Manhattan. 
Another candidate for the job removed himself from contention, NYU graduate Eddie Yost, who was currently playing for the Los Angeles Angels. Well, that is going to do it for our latest Baseball 61 podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast in the Apple Podcast directory, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also visit Baseball61.com. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm Dan Lovato.